This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions, and we own this town. I am Jason T. Mears, Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? Man, it's going really well. That's that's Couldn't uh, be better. Things are phenomenal, as usual? Of course. Yeah? Yeah. Um, that's great to hear. I, I want to just throw this out. I want to get right into this point. Ballad or Buster Scruggs just dropped on Netflix. You and I are both huge Coen Brothers fans. Yes. And you pointed out something to me that blew my mind. Well, you know, as you saw, it's six short films. And in the very last short film, uh, the gentleman in the coonskin cap is none other than Chelsea Ross. Yes, he's still alive. Yes. Colonel Oates from oh, Bogus Journey. We got, we got to try and talk to Chelsea Ross because, yeah. oh, man. How cool would that be? Yeah, that was just great to see him back in action. And I, I hadn't really kept up with him uh, in a while, so. Yeah, I, but he totally nailed that part. I mean, yeah. he just totally encompassed that, and it was he, hilarious. He had the look of Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's maybe taken that mantle. And you mean that in a good way. In a good, great way. Yes. I yeah. love Harry Dean Stanton. I mean, Harry Dean Stanton's phenomenal. <laughs> uh, and this is Harry Dean Stanton today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh just, just wanted to get that out there because it's always great to see a, a Bill and Ted alum making good out there and, and popping up in surprising places. Right, right. So, you know, um, we're recording this and it's uh, it's it's Thanksgiving times right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and along with Thanksgiving and the holidays, uh, sometimes there, there comes an airing of grievances. Yes. Yes, right? there does. Yes, there does. You know, and uh, these movies that we love and we've loved most of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, are not without faults. That's absolutely true. And if you're going to love something, you have to love it wholly and you have to love it and accept its faults because it is what it is. And if you're truly going to love something, you have to accept those. But that does not mean that you cannot acknowledge them. That's right. And so I think we've decided today to maybe acknowledge a couple of those. Yeah, I think so. So um, minor, maybe not so minor, but problems that we do have with Bill and Ted in general. Not the characters necessarily, but maybe there is something. Um, I'll start off. Uh, in both films, uh, they use a uh, homophobic slur. The same one. Use it twice. It's uncomfortable to watch in 2018. Uh, I understand it was you know 30 years ago now, almost mm-hmm. 30 years. Right, you know, the- right. And, and we can put some of that in context because yeah. we were in school close to that time and not too far removed from that age and you know heard heard those slurs and worse all the time right all the time but but i think a case can be made that you know looking looking at it now through this 2018 lens it's like is it was there was there something gratuitous with the use of it maybe to have the callback in the second movie right from the first so so in the first movie you know uh bill bill's afraid that ted has just been killed by soldiers in medieval england and uh he and ted you know they realize that ted's not dead well ted knew he wasn't dead but you know they come back together and they hug and then they use this homophobic slur which kind of a bummer it's it's a throwaway thing and it's like oh you know yeah we're dudes so it like minor notes of gay panic then in the second film Bill and Ted are bargaining for their lives, trying to convince the evil robot us's that they shouldn't kill them. And they're, they're like, hey, we, we, we love you. And then the <laughs> bad robot us's use the same homophobic slur before they throw them off the rock and kill them. Right. And I know we were trying to discuss earlier uh, whether or not that was uh, progress from the first to the right. second movie. Because that you had the, the evil, evil robots were using it this time. Right. I don't know if there was that much thought that went into it. But it, it does appear to at least be a step in the right direction. Unfortunate to still have that used in the films. Not that I'm faulting the filmmakers for including it back then. You know, these are still films that are centered on pure joy. It's just now, in today's day and age, it's a little bit right jarring. You make that. that movie today, that joke's not in there. No, you would hope not. You right. would hope not. Otherwise, it's Wild Hogs with John Travolta <laughs> and William H. Macy. You know, the ultimate gay panic movie. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. You know, a, another grievance that you and I have talked about, and uh, the and we've actually talked about on this podcast, is the whitewashing of heaven. You know, the, right. Uh, Everything's white. Most people are white. Very, very few people of color. I mean, you do the, have... The nod to Taj Mahal. Yeah, uh, St. Peter. Uh, 
but it, it it's shocking. It, it it's kind of shocking watching that now and saying, oh wow. When you talk about diversity and inclusion in film, you would think at least they could get a few extras in there to walk behind a few more extras than they did. It's a minor point, but it's still something that should be addressed. One of those things I would think that maybe gets made a little differently today. Sure. And these gripes really, I mean, we're addressing them with Bill and Ted for the airing of grievances, but I think almost all of these could be applied to any film made during those years. Oh, definitely. It's like a constant problem. And I'd like to think it's getting better. It's Maybe not getting better as fast as it could, but I, I think uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff happening and things appear to be getting better. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I feel like there's more films I've seen that I can say have gotten better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even some of the same criticisms could be made for earlier Apatow stuff. Sure, know. sure, sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, another grievance that we can air with these movies is the treatment of women in the films especially the lack of substantive roles for women in the Bill and Ted movies. Mm -hmm. You have Missy, who's probably the most flesh out character. Right. And then um, I'm Pam Greer's character from Bogus Journey. I can't believe I'm blanking on her name, but. Right. um, The uh, Battle of the Bands promoter. Right. Who actually turns out to be Rufus in the end. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Uh, You have very, very few women who actually have any speaking parts in these movies. Um, the princesses in both films are almost entirely regulated to, you know, reaction dialogue or very, right. very, you know, little to say. Not to mention two totally different sets of actresses. Yeah, which is <laughs> all four actresses did fine jobs. I'm a little bit biased toward the first film. Yep. Um, and I, you know, Diane Franklin, who played one of the princesses, did a phenomenal job. She did most of the heavy lifting for the dialogue. Of the princesses in the first film. Right. And uh, we were preparing for our interview with Diane Franklin, which we're about to bring up. And I rewatched the movie and I was surprised because looking back, there were scenes of decent dialogue that she had that I had just completely forgotten. Yep. Um, You know, we find out there was a whole prom scene that got removed. mm Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, this could be a good moment to just maybe pay a little bit of tribute to Missy. Yeah. Yeah. you know, the only actress to maybe cross over to both movies? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, she did a fine job. She took what could have been a one-note character and really embodied it with, with uh, some real humanity there. Yeah, and, and I, I loved the way they went with their storyline in the second movie. You know, um, the character had switched from being married to Bill's dad to being married to Ted's dad <laughs> to eventually being married to Denomalos. Yeah. But, you know, she she even takes on the role of the protector in the second film. Like mm-hmm. she's trying to protect the princesses from the good or from the evil robot. Yeah. yeah. Which which. Uh, hey, a little bit of depth there. That was nice. Yeah. And then the whole uh, Ouija board seance scene. Right. Right. Which uh, or maybe there wasn't a Ouija board. They were just reading from a like the Necronomicon or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're sitting over a book made of human flesh doing dark incantations. No, uh, so th- those are my major grievances. I, I can't think of... Uh, only other grievance I can think of, which Michael, our producer, uh, mentioned, is maybe they tried to oversaturate the market a little bit too much with Bill and Ted early on. Uh, the cartoon uh, series... Yeah. Not that great. We'll, we'll talk about at least one of those episodes in a later episode. We've got that queued up for us to discuss. Right. And then the live action series, which I've pretty much blocked out of my brain entirely. Yeah. I, I tried watching maybe an episode. And then as soon as I turned it on, it wasn't uh, Alex or Keanu. And I was like, eh. Awful. No, this, yeah, this is not going to last. Even my young eyes knew when when something mm-hmm. like that wasn't going to last on television. Do, do you feel Do you feel like there was anything lost between the fact that the first and the second movie were kind of done by two different sets of folks outside of, you know, the writers and the composer I'll tell you and, what, and the two main actors. I'll tell you what's a little bit jarring to me. And um, th- what's jarring to me is the future scenes, how the future scenes yeah. look. Now, Bill and Ted University looks really cool. Um, the costumes are are really bizarre, like those big Nerf costumes that everybody's walking around. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it reminds me a lot of Back to the Future 2. Yeah, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And it it just doesn't jive with the vision of the future that we're given in the first film, which I really, really, really liked how the future looked in the first film. Mm-hmm. So 
Also, minor detail, like the the antenna on the booth changed, so they they yeah had that, yeah like white hub come up as opposed to the antenna. Now <laughs> that could maybe be explained away by you know the great ones having trouble with the antenna on their first adventure, and so they went back and made it more user friendly. Or it could be something as simple as like we need to have something for Rufus's guitar to anchor on with <laughs> so it was to try great. to make that believable right, at all. Right. And, and then adding in the 3d glasses for the second movie, it was a cool visual, you know, whenever the time travel booth comes up, everybody yeah. puts their, their glasses on and you see the blue and red, like the 3d mm-hmm. looking thing, neat visual, but it doesn't make any sense in context of the universe. Yeah. Am I griping too much? I mean, we're airing grievances. Well, yeah. Yeah. We're airing the grievances and you know what? Our grievances are pretty dang minor. <laughs> they are. They are. At, at, yeah. So can we talk a little bit about our interview with Diane Franklin? Oh, man. So I liked how you snuck her in there yeah. in our conversation. Um, but you talk about uh, uh, actresses actresses that you know maybe weren't properly utilized in Bill and Ted, and, and no one comes to mind more than Diane Franklin. Um, we all know her. Jason and I grew up with her as Monique from Better Off Dead. Um, Love that movie you know, so much. Uh, one of one of my early crushes. Mm-hmm. And she also starred, even before that, in her very first movie, which was Last American Virgin, which uh, I thought was a very <laughs> unique movie for its time. And we were discussing that just insane ending um, that is maybe one of the most realistic endings of any sort of uh, teen sex comedy of its time, I think. And, or and, ever. Right. And along with like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the movie addresses abortion, mm-hmm. I think, in a way that, that most films didn't. You know, Still um, don't. Yeah. This interview is really cool. It's really special. Um, I can't believe we got her to agree to speak to us, but it was mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a dream come true considering, you know, like one of my first crushes. A uh, difficult interview because uh, just hard to concentrate. And I mean that in a good way. Your nerves were adorable at the beginning. I, I don't think they were as adorable as mine. Well, you're, nobody's nerves are as adorable as yours. Oh, wow. Here yeah. come the compliments. Yeah, yeah. You're a handsome man, <laughs> Kelly Hoyle Bullock. Uh, so uh, this interview is fantastic. We get into her career, how she got started, what she's doing now. It's all incredibly fascinating. She's written a couple of books, which you have to check out on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will link to those. Um, on our Facebook page so you guys can find them easily and, and check them out because so cool. But anyway, here's our interview with Diane Franklin. Excellent! Well, Diane, thank you so much for joining us. You got into modeling at a really young age and um, I just would love to hear how you got involved with that and, and how you made the transition to acting. Um, it's so funny. I actually was one of those little kids who from the age of four wanted to be on TV, okay? <laughs> and, you know, today maybe that would be um, similar to how kids want to have their own YouTube channel, you know, like that that feeling of like they want to be that person, you know? Um, but at the time when I was so young, I mean, literally four years old, like I wanted to be on TV. I told my parents and um, my parents were just German immigrants. They talk like this. They were like, what's happening? This is that. Why is she trying to get on the television? You know, um, you know, and they didn't know anything about the entertainment business. And but they listened to me at such a young age. And they actually um, they brought me to an agent when I was four years old. They listened to me. I mean, wow. I don't even know how if that's even a thing where people do that. But. Um, they, and I went to an agent and the, uh, and the agent said, your hair is too short and curly. Come back when it's longer. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I know that that was maybe not all of it, but I do know that, um, that's what, you know, that's the piece of information I found out later. So, um, I grew my hair out. And as we talk about like the seventies, you know, it's that straight hair, that, Sort of Marsha Brady, blonde hair, blue eyes, American look. Um, even there was sort of like the Christy McNichol, the shag, but there was no curly hair. That was just not happening. So um, I straightened my hair and I just kept taking classes and singing and dancing. And I never changed my mind. <laughs> I, I just never changed my mind. So then what happened was when we started, uh, I, I asked my parents, you know, again. And then when I was 10 years old, they said, okay, well, we'll. We'll go try again. So they went to another agent and, and that sort of got that. I guess the first agent they went to, um, it was a thing where you, I paid, you pay somebody to get you auditions. Oh, which, wow. 
FYI, you don't do that. Like, yeah. that's the thing. <laughs> like, I can just tell everybody, don't ever pay anyone to get you auditions. It has to be someone who believes in you enough that they then send you out on auditions. And that's how they make money. So um, anyway, so but, you know, you learn trials and tribulations. And so the first agent that I could, you know, from word of mouth, from that bad experience, um, we found um, a modeling agent and her name was Marge McDermott. And that was how I started at 10 years old with modeling because I had had no acting training. And at the time in the 80s, it was not considered. And I don't even know necessarily today how it's really seen as much. But I do know that certainly in the 80s and you went back in Long Island People were like, no, you know, you don't study acting. You don't take acting classes at such a young age. It was considered they wanted to keep the naturalness of kids. And so they it wasn't a thing like you did plays, but you didn't study acting. So anyway, regardless. Um, and and I really I mean, it's interesting now because I'm, I'm actually and I have to say this. I'm actually a very shy person and people don't really necessarily know that because I tend to talk a lot. But that's only because I learned that over years. But as myself, I, I was very shy and I still am shy, but it's, um, it was interesting that at that age, um, I started with modeling because really it was something where I was still learning and I, I wasn't comfortable with the gift of gab. And I, I, you know, I was, I had nobody in the business to tell me anything or show me anything. So I started with modeling and, um, I did that for two years and then I wasn't growing. <laughs> and, I wasn't, <laughs> and so it was like, okay, I guess this career is ending. Um, but during that time when I did modeling, I was so fortunate because I was acting with Lori Loughlin, uh, modeling, modeling with Lori Loughlin and Felice Schachter, who was in Zapped. And uh, Lori was in Full House, the TV show. Right, that's Brooke so Shields, cool. Right, and Brooke Shields, we did modeling together. Um, and she's like, you know, amazing with pretty baby and you know endless love and blue lagoon and it's like all all of my childhood crushes like modeling right? together at the same time right and and, and lizanne falk i don't know if you remember her she was in i think she was in heathers she played oh, a blonde girl in yes, heathers one of the yes, friends yes and she was stunning i mean all these girls who we i did modeling with we all started when we were like you know, well, they might have even started way earlier, but I, I was started when I was 10 with them. I mean, crazy. And so I, I'll, I'll tell you this. We all started when we were all the same height. <laughs> <laughs> so there that tells you a lot. Uh, so after that, that's when it got me in then to commercials because I wasn't growing. So I was like, OK, then I'll go more into acting. And, and you know, to me because I didn't have any connections. My parents um, never took me to the theater, although I did plays in school. Um, but it was because they that wasn't they didn't know that world, you know. And the only reason, again, that I wanted to be on TV was because that was my form of entertainment. My We didn't go to the movies a lot. We were lower middle class. And so it was kind of like that's what I grew up watching, you know. Oh, wow. So, so, so what were some of the commercials yeah. you did? So then when I did commercials, okay, this is really fun. Um, and that's also, I did a commercial with Lori Loughlin and I did, um, um, I, I would go on auditions with Elizabeth Shue and um, Ali Sheedy did a commercial with a friend of mine. And I mean, that was kind of a fun stage. Um, so I did the, I did, oh my gosh, um, an Arby's commercial. I did a, um, a Coke commercial, um, the Coke is it campaign where people were jumping, you know, like, uh, it was like, the, it looked like fame and it's actually <laughs> online. You can find it sort of looks like fame and we're all dancing and I'm in that group. Um, I was, did a commercial for jello where I turned sweet. It was a sweet 16 commercial. And, uh, that was hilarious because we shot until I think probably three o'clock in the morning and <laughs> we were all like, Oh, we were so sick of jello. <laughs> and I would be like, eat like mm, jello. And to, I, I had to be the one eating it because I was the sweet 16. And then I just used the spit bag. It was like scary. <laughs> but that's <laughs> acting right there. Right. I mean, if you're sick of oh, jello and you got to keep eating it, that's acting. Oh my gosh. Green jello. I mean, three o'clock <laughs> in the morning. You're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's just take another one. Let's take a close up on that. So, you know, it <laughs> was really funny. Um, and then the one of the most the biggest commercials for me was um, Trident Sugarless Mints, which was a huge commercial because that was the actually that was the first commercial with curly hair. Like um, Last American Virgin was the first film, mm -hmm. but that commercial 
after I, I, again, it was one of those weird, it was a rainy day. I go out and the, you know, I could not straighten my hair for the life of me. And I wound up getting this commercial and all the people in that commercial were supposed to be uh, Broadway dancers and Broadway singers. They were like established entertainers. And so here I am coming in and the director gives me the product shot. He gives me the wow. main shot. And so what happens is I'm in the background. I'm like, you know, just back, and he's like, oh, excuse me, can you just let this this girl through, please? Can you let Diane through? And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> nice. And all these, you know, incredibly talented people are looking at me like, what? Why is she coming up here? You know, she's never done any, you know, Broadway or anything. So it was it was a little um, I was definitely uncomfortable, um, but I was, you know, I was lucky and it was a big break. And. Uh, and after that commercial showed, like people would recognize me on the street, which was very um, exciting coming from, you know, Long Island, like walking in the streets of New York. And when people recognize you on the streets of New York, that's crazy because that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I can't you know? fathom that. Cannot fathom that yeah, yeah, It's like it just doesn't happen. You're back east. You're like people are usually looking down. They're looking up. They don't look, you know, make eye contact. Although over the years, it's gotten a lot better. But um, back in the 80s, no, you just. You know, you walked in your direction and you just didn't uh, you didn't make eye contact. But um, so that was an amazing gift. And then I'm trying to think, oh, gosh, I did. a. am trying to there's so many I did a pep, I did Pepsi. And then, you know, when you do a commercial, you have to wait a certain amount of time and you can't do, you know, the competition at the same time. Right, so right, right. I had to wait enough. And then I did a Coke commercial and, you know, you wait some more time and you do a different thing. So um, that's that's really fun. And uh, oh, and you know what else I did? I did a. A Clearasil commercial, <laughs> although I never saw it, with Matthew Modine. Oh, oh. wow. I used a lot That's of that funny. product in the 80s, for sure. Right? <laughs> Remember Clearasil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there were some funny experiences. So, um, in fact, okay, this is crazy. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. That commercial, it's online, and it actually recently showed at uh, JFK. At the airport. Oh, at the airport. That's awesome. Somebody said to me, they took a picture and they said, you're not going to believe who I just saw. And I'm like, a 70s commercial at the airport? Like, what is that? That can only happen in New York. Oh, that's crazy. You know? How did you make the transition from commercials into more acting roles? I mean, the commercials are acting, right? but yeah, to film and, and eventually to television, correct? Um, yeah. So, so what's interesting is that I started, I did the commercials for a while and then I got a real big, I, I was doing, I did a play, um, at the McCarter theater and Joe Beth Williams, oh, uh, nice. she played my mom, um, no, my sister, my sister in the play. Um, it was a very small play, a Thornton Wilder play. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I started doing more acting roles and I played the daughter in this Thornton Wilder play. And, um, then I got a role in a soap opera. I got, I was on as the world turns for about six months as a recurring character. So I was getting more and more roles and feeling more, uh, comfortable with doing roles. Um, but I still couldn't get a role as a lead, you know, like it just, I mean, it was always either names um, or it was, and I, I, for, I couldn't play the best friend. Like they would hire other people to play the best friend. I always would wind up going for the somewhat of a lead, but I didn't have a name. So I was really stuck and I, I couldn't break out of that. And I was going to NYU. I was going to college and I, I was majoring not in acting, but in biochemistry, which is pretty weird, but, um, it's because I, I took all the money that I made acting and I put it towards college and I thought, if I'm going to college, I do not want to spend that money on something that I can learn outside of college, which means like I could take classes in acting, but you can't take, you know, biochemistry classes outside. You know, you got to go to college for something like that. And I, w I was always interested in science. So it turned out that I had a chemistry exam at NYU and I get this audition for this film called The Last American Virgin. And my manager said, you have the audition tomorrow. And I said, I am booking out. Do not call me. I have my chemistry exam. And she's like, well, if you change your mind, here's the address. And I'm like, I'm not changing my mind. I have this exam and I got to do it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, the title, The Last American Virgin. I'm so sure that I'm going to miss my exam for this film, right? I go to the exam and I go to take it. And I look down at it and I realize I have a better chance of getting a lead in a film than I do passing this exam. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> and so I race up down and I meet the producers. It was Menachem and Yoram Golan and Globus. And um, I guess Boas had left already. He was on his uh, plane back, back to um, Los Angeles. And they said to me, you know, we're going to fly you out next week for a screen test. And, um, you know, that's it. Like, just do it. Like, and it happened so fast. Wow. And the, the thing that was the thing that was amazing about that experience was because it was the day of my chemistry exam, I didn't straighten my hair. So when I showed up to meet them, they saw that me with this big, giant, curly haired head and like just like all my hair like just totally curled out and they thought it was pretty which is something I honestly was not a given like nobody really thought curly hair they thought oh you know that's okay but it wasn't considered beautiful and so they had I showed up with straight hair maybe they wouldn't have even had me come but based on my look I think they were like okay uh you're definitely coming out so I I went and I auditioned and we went into production immediately right away Wow. We started shooting like a week later or two weeks later. So, yeah. So I stayed in um, I stayed in Los Angeles. I didn't even come back. And um, I dropped out of chemistry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I dropped out of that class. So, um, yeah. And actually, I stopped my education starting. Well, no, actually, I did Amityville after I did Amityville. Then I stopped my uh, college education. Um, but later on, I, I in my life, I picked it up and I just graduated uh, last year. Oh well, congratulations! congratulations. Isn't that crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so, so that's last fantastic. last American Virgin. That's you know that became a bit of a cult classic there uh, over the years, and seems like just a, a huge first big break for you. Yes. Um, the The amazing thing is, if you told me when that whole experience happened that we'd be talking about it today, I would have said, "There's no way." Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> because. First of all, when that film, when I got that audition, you know, when people made films, like a lot of films, they get tried to get made, but they never got finished. So the first thing was when we did the film, we we're thinking, will this even come out? I don't even know if it's going to come out. And, you know, you can make a film, but it might not ever get distribution. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, you know, when I read the script, I saw two different films. I saw this, you know, sex teen comedy, you know, uh, sort of like gratuitous nudity, kind of like, you know, crazy uh, light film. And then there was this like wonderful, deep story as well with but with my character. So when I read the script, I had sort of mixed feelings, but I I thought, well, I don't know, you know, I mean, what? And then then it just hit me. I thought, you know what? I can make this film great. Like on my, whatever I put into it on my side, I know that I can bring a lot of weight to it, you know? And I hadn't seen Lemon Popsicle, which was a movie that was done in Israel before. Um, that was, a so Last American Virgin is a remake of an Israeli film called Lemon Popsicle. I never knew that. Oh, I, I never oh my knew gosh, that. You gotta see it. The crazy part about it is shot for shot. It's Last American Virgin. So you will see wow. the same shots. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Was the, so, sa- was the same director? Was... Yeah. Okay. And the other thing is, this story, Last American Virgin, was uh, based on the director's true life. So he it was based on true life. Everything in that story happened to him. Wow. And yeah, I know, right? And it's, um, I always look at it, the film is like sex education for guys. Like yep. if you're a guy, you got to see it. <laughs> yes. You have to. Yep. You have no yep. choice. It's like you're going to learn about sex and you're going to learn about love and if they had sold this as a love story no guy would have seen it but they bring the guy in with the sex and Mm. then people go what is happening yeah kelly and i were talking about that ending earlier today yeah it is it is one of the truer endings i think (laughs) yeah well you can't forget it well that's another part of why we're talking about it today because i think if and bo has never you know, we, they were thinking of doing a remake of it again. Um, Brett Ratner was thinking, you know, he owns the rights to it and he wanted to make a, a, a remake of it. And, you know, everyone's like, you're not you can't change the ending. And he, he gets it. You know, it's mm-hmm. because that is the mm-hmm. thing that ring, rings true. The thing that was so stunning, I think, about and again, we're talking about why you talk about a film like this, why you remember it is because it's called The Last American Virgin. So you're thinking American is going to have a happy ending and you don't anticipate (laughs) this sort of European kind of 
that's life. Like yep. that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's sort of there's no happy ending. Based on what you're saying to me, like you you know, and the fact that it's still here today, it's it's not only just this it's not only this film, which I would never have expected to be, because it's a sex comedy. Why would people like I mean, remember that, you know? And then on the other hand, it's um it's like a eighties um time capsule. The music, the costumes, the the subject matter. And then that was the first film that um, had curly hair in it. That was the thing that my hair kickstarted all the curly hair in the 80s. They kickstarted the perms, <laughs> uh, the flash dance, the whole thing. It opened ethnicity for the 80s because it was the f- I mean, I know because I'd been acting and modeling for years. Um, I saw it happening. I experienced it. Even when I did Better Off Dead, I remember thinking there is <laughs> I know. If you could have just trademarked those curls, you know? Yeah, I'm like, curly hair. And and, and what was so funny is after that virgin experience, everybody, um, no one ever said straighten your hair. It was like I got lead after lead with the curly hair. That's great. And so, anyway, I I wrote a book about it on on Amazon, but... um, that's um, if you want to get it, it's called the excellent curls of the last American French exchange babe of the eighties. Awesome. I'll definitely <laughs> um, check yeah, that out. Too. And we will yeah. link to that as well for sure. Good. Um, Great. So, so it's good to know. You mentioned better off dead. Can we talk about better off dead for a few minutes? <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what I did? Well, you know, with the Dodgers and the playoffs, I actually uh, tweeted, you know, you can do it, you know, uh, <laughs> all you need is a small taste of success and you find it suits you, you know? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, come on, Todgers, right? Um, so. Well, one, we, we uh, see on IMDb that you worked with Savage Steve Holland a few times. But, uh, oh, yeah. 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 How was the audition process for Better Off Dead? Was it uh, just kind of, can you talk about it for a few minutes? Uh, yes. Um, I will tell you that if you want to know the, the specific details from Savage's point of view, um, the director, <laughs> get, uh, my, I have my first book, The Excellent Adventures of the mm-hmm. Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. He wrote the forward and he talks about my audition and how I got the role. Oh, um, awesome. Um, so it's, it's, it's so sweet. And I was like, I mean, it's just great when you hear from someone else's point of view of how you got the part, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, I had just come from a film called Second Time Lucky, and I had played um, a character who, uh, there were, I played the character of Eve from Adam and Eve, okay? Okay. <laughs> so needly, needless to say, that, that role uh, has um, is very, um, oh, let's say just a little uh, body, okay? And um, <laughs> But one of the characters that I play as my Eve character, it's Eve through different time periods, was a French, uh, sort of a Florence Nightingale character. And that character what is where I started my French accent. And when I went to see uh, Savage for the audition and I saw that there was a French girl in it, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to audition for this character. And Savage was interested in me playing Beth hmm. originally. So when I come into the audition, I was like, yeah, yeah, you want to see me for Beth and I'll read Beth, but you must see me see me for Monique I mean you must talk to me like this I, I just started to talk to him with my French accent and uh, I just said I am Monique you must hire me as Monique and you know I mean I just kind of just went into my French accent and I think he and the producer um, Michael Jaffe were so shocked and because I was so it was just I just took that character over you know and um I think, and, and I was crossing my fingers that night. I was, please, oh, I really want this role. Oh my gosh, there's nothing, um, there's nothing gratuitous in this film. And and what a great role model. So rarely, as a, a young girl, do you get to have a great role model? And I just love the character of Monique. I mean, she's just the coolest person. Yeah, you she's, know, with she's the, face, the coolest right? person. She's also the the. One person in the movie with her head on straight. Exactly. Right. Getting to play the voice she, of reason. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. Right. Fixing the cars and you know, and she knows how to, you know, she she's had a sense of strength and I just love that character. And um the only thing I was wondering is why do we have to have a French girl to be that likable? <laughs> why right. can't it be American girl? But whatever. Um but I love the character. So I was just over the moon when I found out that I had gotten it. They when they called me the next day and said that I got the part of Monique, I was so thrilled and it just it felt so right, you know. 
Well, I can only imagine that film. I, I would hope it was as fun to shoot as it was to watch. Um, it it oh, looked like a great it time. Was, it was killer. Um, we would shoot and the, I mean, we'd have to do resho- reshoots and I would see the crew like they would watch us and then everybody would turn their heads away because they didn't want to laugh. So it's like, you know, you're watching something funny, but everyone's trying to hold the laugh in. So I would see like, you know, costume and, and you know, the sound people like all they everyone was turning their heads away when they would see us act. And it was I mean, when that scene with um, uh, Mrs. Smith squeezing my cheeks yep. and saying Christmas, <laughs> we must have shot that like five times. Everybody was couldn't stop laughing. It was so funny. Oh, I man. was trying. To, I mean. It, very hard not to laugh. We had a very fun time. And even the, the scene where Dan Schneider, you know, mm-hmm. passes the jello to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and then Curtis snorts it. And that wasn't planned. It was so <laughs> funny. And I was trying to just keep like, I think if you watch carefully, you'll probably see my like jaw, like like shaking slightly. <laughs> I just, it was so killer. And it was so just so wonderful. Like uh. I loved working with all the actors and, um, I've stayed in contact with Amanda Wist and E.G. Daly and Curtis Armstrong and Savage. And, um, you know, we all back the film. We all think it's amazing. It is amazing. So. I mean, uh, if I, uh, to be honest, if Kelly and I weren't doing a podcast on the Bill and Ted universe, we might be doing one on Better Off Dead. That's true. Oh, <laughs> Such I fans. love it. Yeah. Wait, I have to tell you something very fun. I'm actually going to be doing another book. This is my third book, and it is going to be an homage to Better Off Dead. Oh, nice. And so awesome. what I do is when I go to conventions, I bring my coat from Better Off Dead, which is that big oversized coat, mm-hmm. and I let people wear it, and believe me, it fits everybody i haven't had one person that's never fit okay and people take it and then we take pictures with it so what i'm doing is if anyone if people have pictures wearing the coat or if they go to conventions that i'm in for the next year um i'm i'm gonna probably put the book out in 2020 so that people still have time but if they come to conventions that i'm in um then you can submit the picture and i'll put it in my book oh that's so, awesome very cool yeah that is a great it's idea a labor of love Isn't it great? Yeah, that's just so wonderful. Um, That coat bonds everyone, which is why I love that idea is that men, women, like whoever, you know, you can't, you're a good person if you like that film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Be a bad person, right? Right. That that is absolutely (laughs) true. It's like Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. Like, how can you not like that song? Right. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. That's just, if you don't, well, then you just don't get it. You're not, you know. (laughs) No offense to any of our listeners who don't like that song, but you you are a monster. Right, right. You just don't get it. It's like, okay. So, yeah. You know, if you could talk about uh, how you ended up uh, auditioning and, and getting the role of Princess Joanna and Bill and Ted. All right. This is lovely. You're going to love this because you've got some very good timing on, on your question. Um, when I auditioned for Bill and Ted's, I thought that I was coming in for the Joan of Arc role because she was French. Ah, okay. And yeah. so I thought, oh, all right, I'm going to play Genevieve. I mean, this is what is natural, and uh, I would go in. And the funny part was, I didn't realize it upon later, but Joan of Arc never talks. Right. right. Not a single line she of dialogue. Not one line. Not one line. <laughs> and I didn't even, I mean, I didn't realize that in the script. I think I just, I don't know. I just, I didn't see that. I saw Joan of Arc there a lot, but I didn't see that she wasn't talking. So when I was in the room, um, the Steve Herrick was in the room and not sure if the writers, if Ed Solomon and Chris were there, but, um, I, I think they were, I don't know. Well, anyway, they asked me if I could do an English accent, if, or if, what about the princess role? And I didn't remember the princesses because at the time I didn't see their names or I think they were just referred to as the princesses. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, what? Well, I sure. I, I, and I talked like this and I said, of course I can do an English accent and that would be lovely and talk, you know, so, so, you know, as you, you know, in an audition, I was just improvising, you know, with the, with the words and talking like this. And, um, and they were like, oh, that's great. That's great. And so what wound up happening was I wound up going, um, going home and then I found out, oh, well, you're, going to be one of the princesses and I was shocked because I I was like wow okay I have no idea what this role is you know essentially but sure um I think the the most interesting part of that was I was actually cast as Princess Elizabeth 
But when they finished the film and they did credits, somebody mixed the names up and I got the name of Princess Joanna. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so come the second Bill and Ted's, what happened was Bill is now, he is back with Elizabeth. And so the name's back again. And I remember telling Ed Solomon, Ed, did you know that I was originally Princess Joanna? He said, no, no, Bill has, oh, um, I'm sorry, Ted has always been with Elizabeth. I'm like, well, guess what? Check the credits because I was Princess <laughs> Joanna. Oh, that's, that's great. Isn't that great? So here's what happened. So all, during all these, this time, I've been signing autographs as Princess Joanna. But if they do a Bill and Ted's three and I'm in it, I may be back to being Princess Elizabeth. So <laughs> nice. So that'll be awesome. You'll have been both princesses. You mean that's when exactly, when right. when right. you are in it? You mean when you are in it? <laughs> that, that's uh, right. Wouldn't that be cool? I, I could say I, this is in this film. I'm Elizabeth, and this one I'm Joanna. So um, yeah, yes. And I appreciate you saying that. When I like that. Um, you know, I I would say. There's very good chances of it. I know that the princesses are in Bill and Ted's three, which is face the music. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't count anything until after it's happened. I have to say there's been so many, you know, as an actor, I mean, well, look at Bill and Ted's too. I've, we thought Kimberly, uh, Kate, who is Kimberly LaBelle, who now is Kimberly Kate. She changed her last name. Um, we thought we were going to be in Bogus Adventure. I mean, we, there was no reason not to think that. And um, we just, we thought, of course, we're obviously going to be in it. And it turned out that I think the director wanted to go a different way. And I, I guess the guys wanted us. But, you know, I don't know. When it comes down to the end, I don't know how, why or whatever. I mean, my only thought was that perhaps they want to keep the guys freewheeling and they didn't want people to get to know the princesses that well. I don't know. So we will see. That's why I cannot say Bill and Ted's three. We will see. But I do know that people who are fans will be, you know, it'll be a nice nod mm-hmm. to see us in it. That yeah. would be really Absolutely. a nice nod, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It'd be great. Would you yeah. like to see? Would you like to see us back again? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that would be very lovely. We're lovely. Yeah. Thank you. It, 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 it's, <laughs> you almost we, we will fully endorse you. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, you, you've. Uh, let, let me ask you this. So you were in the. Um, obviously, you were in the, in the medieval England shoots. So when you were filming, did you get flown over to Europe for those as well, and, and then do other yes. stuff in Arizona or? So Bill and Ted's went like this. The first scene that Kim and I did was in Arizona. And that was a shot because we actually ended the film with the prom. Bill and Ted take us to the prom. They did. Oh, wow. Oh, so nice. They took us to the prom and they, the set was the, like a real prom. And they had a band. They, well, I think we were probably supposed to be in the band at the time. But it was so wonderful. And Bill and Ted wore tuxedos and I firmly believe that from this day for uh, from the day that we shot it if that scene had gone into um the the actual film guys would be cutting their their trousers their uh their uh tuxes at the knee because that's what they did (laughs) yeah I'm already envisioning that for sure right yeah Yeah. I would have done it yeah Oh my gosh, absolutely. Everybody, it was at the knee and then they wore high tops, black, you know, sneakers and, and uh, socks. Because and it's prom. I mean, yeah. They, wear- exactly. Of course, it's prom, right? Still going to wear your sneakers, mm. but you're going to wear your tux. They looked so great. It was such a great look. And that's, it's a disappointment that we didn't shoot that. But I think they wanted to make sure that Bill and Ted's came back to their, who they were, mm-hmm. you know? And so then they made us join the band. So that's how they kept us in it. But, um, Originally, we shot that in Arizona. Then we came back, and then they said, okay, we're going to shoot the medieval castle scene in Europe. And we actually shot that in the medieval English castle we shot in Rome. So they flew all of us to Rome, which was wonderful. And we shot all the scenes in the castle, which was totally lovely. It was beautiful beds and, you know, wonderful dresses and um you know, the guillotine and all that, right? And the kings. A bunch of royal royal ugly dudes. dudes, (laughs) Right. Um, It was magical. I mean, that was incredible that the fact that they put it all together to make it look so realistic. Um, And the guys were great. They were, I mean, who who wouldn't love to, you know, shoot with Bill and Ted and um, Alex and Keanu, we went sightseeing with them and 
we just had a great time. We weren't there very long, but we just had a, a blast. It was great. Oh, that's so cool. And and then we came back, and then after we came back, they said, oh, well, we've decided we're going to reshoot the different ending. And that's when we shot in the Pacific Palisades at a house in a garage, uh, the final scene you see with um, uh, uh, Carlin, and, George yep. Carlin. And I had not met him up until that point, and I, I guess he was in the film before, obviously. But So we, I was very fortunate to be able to work with him. Oh, my gosh. What a gentle gentleman he is. Such a genteel guy and so... So sweet and so calm. Shockingly so. Oh, that's great. Yeah. His stage routine was very obscene and um, but sharp. He's such a sharp guy. And <laughs> then just, you know, we work with him. He's the most gentle and, hello, pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. You know, um, just please. I would have to say closer to his Rufus uh, character in real life. You know, he's just lovely. Um Oh, that's so great. So, that's so great to yeah. hear. We we recently talked with Terry Camilleri, who played Napoleon, and he, he had nothing but great things to say about George, too. Oh, and he was hysterical. That guy, who, he, Terry playing Napoleon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a funny guy. I mean, it, it's a shame that I, we weren't around for their scenes, uh, but because uh, we, we never got a big group picture because right. the princesses weren't around at the same time. But I really hope if they do Bill and Ted's, uh, three and we're in it. I'm really going to, you know, push for everybody to take a big picture together because it's, you know, it, it, it would be wonderful to have everybody together. So 100% agreed. And anyway, if you get that copy, yeah. uh, that photo, please send us a copy because uh, <laughs> I know. will, I will, you know, <laughs> I will. So, so you've been writing. I, I see that uh, you're still active in acting. What do you have anything besides the upcoming book that you'd like to plug or talk about or, um, I don't know if uh, the audience knows, but when I was in my, when I was 20, I did a role uh, in a movie called Amityville to the possession. Mm -hmm. And I played the daughter in that film. And, um, it was, it's kind of risque. Sometimes some people think it's the best Amityville that there is. Um, and it's, re it's very real. It's got like some real realism in it. It's, and it was based on the real murders that happened with the DeFeo family. Mm -hmm. So I played the daughter and then just like a year and a half ago, um, a director named Daniel Ferrans, writer-director. Again, I love writer-directors, by the way, because they know their material and they can direct it really well. So you writer-directors, love your stuff. I mean, I've done like three films. Better Off Dead was writer-director. Mm -hmm. um, Last American Virgin, writer-director. Um, and then this, Amityville Murders, is writer-director. And it's just, your film is just rock when you come from that place. I wound up, he, they called me, Daniel, and said, I want you to play the mother now. I want you to play Louise DeFeo. And I just burst into tears. I burst into tears. I was <laughs> so excited. I, I, I thought, how is this possible? I've always wanted to play a real person. And here, this was, I don't know what actress has ever done a movie where they played the daughter in one film, and now they're playing the mother yeah. in the same story. In the same story, <laughs> oh, essentially. Same story. So now you get to, and so now as, a, as an actress, I'm experiencing, I experience two different points of view. I experience the daughter's point of view of the family and the murder because it's about a, a boy who murders his family. And now I'm experiencing the mother's point of view of the murders. Um, the thing that was interesting is we just had a premiere at Screamfest, which is a film festival in Los Angeles. Sure, sure. That is yeah. supposed to be like the horror, it's a bit like the Sundance of, of it's horror. The you preeminent know? horror, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, festival yeah absolutely festival yeah. exactly and it opened it opened the whole show and the place and the we oversold the tickets we are um the it was like over 400 seats and it was packed it was like we had too many people and the audience loved it but it they didn't love it as a um like if you watch it and you think it's a horror film you know if you are looking for like eyes bugging out and like blood splattering this isn't the film because that's not true, right? Mm, it's right. not, you know, this was based on a true story. So in, in a, what it, it actually is, is a docudrama, meaning it's based on fact, but it is not, um, it's not technically a horror film, but yet at the same time, it is very scary. Oh, that's great. I mean, we, we want to thank you, Diane, so much for doing our podcast. Absolutely. Oh. This is this. phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you. Merci, Buckets. And, <laughs> and thank you very much. <laughs> yes. I am very, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, um, again, you know, 
these films that I do are boutique. They're, uh, you have to be someone who really likes to watch films and you, to get to it because it's not um, – I think Bill Intense perhaps was the most commercial success. But even that, you know, maybe not many people – you know, know about Bill and Ted's, you know, because it's, it was an eighties film. Right. So I think what's great about your podcast is you're bringing back nostalgia and really great, happy memories for people. And that's my, what I try to do. I, I, in my books and I try to bring back, if you don't know the eighties and you want to know what it feels like and what it, what it was like, that's why I wrote my book so that people could experience the eighties again. How cool is that Kelly? That was an amazing interview. I can't believe all the little tidbits we got. Just trying to imagine her and the other actress um, sightseeing in Italy with Keanu and Alex. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have. People often ask if you could travel back in history to one point, one point in time. That would probably be me. I'd probably tag along sightseeing with them in yeah. in Europe during the filming of the first Bill and Dead. And will anyone ever see the the prom scene? Is it ever possible? If it hasn't been unearthed, could now. there be a thirtieth edition that that gives that to us? You know, I think I I think in having conversations with some other people, I think we might be seeing some special editions come out. Okay, Mr. David Newman in our pre-interview had mentioned that he had done some uh, interview stuff for an That's edition right. he thought was coming out. So That's there, right. I don't I I don't know if we're breaking any news here, but it does seem like that is a possibility. I don't. I would love to unearth that footage. That would be really cool. Um, <laughs> Something else to talk about this before we wrap up. Recently, there was a charity auction on eBay for a walk-on role on Bill and Ted Three, which I take as very good a very good sign that this thing is getting greenlit soon. Yep, Bill and Ted: The Face of Music is inching closer and closer every day to becoming an actual reality, mm-hmm. which I'm so excited about. I can't wait. And unfortunately, funds were tight. We weren't able to make that bid to get on Bill and Ted 3. Somehow our, our producer and we own this town really failed to come through with that $16,000 we would have needed for that walk-on roll. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I still think Michael and we own this town do a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we always want to thank uh, Scott Bricklin and Scooby Tunes Music for the use of Walk Away. Yeah. Begrudgingly, we think Michael and we own this town, even though, you know, where's our check <laughs> for $16,000? But it's, it's, it's cool. Whatever. Whatever. We're moving into the holidays. We want you to be safe. But most of all, we want you to be excellent to each other. And also party on, dudes. Uh, can I get naked? Is that all right? Yeah, okay. Here, all right. So. Okay. <laughs> Nothing you haven't seen before. Yeah, that's true. I've seen it all. On a shoulder. Yes.